0: Welcome to the price control segment of microeconomics. This is Dr. Terry Lind coming to you from home to wherever you are, sit back, relax and enjoy the economic ride. So price controls are pretty straightforward when you think about it. It could either be a price ceiling or a price floor. Essentially any of those two is the government intervening in the free market and setting either a legal maximum in the case of a price ceiling, or a legal minimum in the case of a price floor. Obviously, when you think of the government intervening in a specific market, it has a goal in mind. It's not just going to say, well, t-shirts should not be sold for more than $20. You'll never see that happening. It's not something that is irrelevant and there's no justification to uh, not allow the free market equilibrium to uh, be achieved so we have to keep in mind well what would make sense for the government to intervene in well if you think a market that could occur but is not the case right now imagine that you're in a country where the stock of water resources Are controlled by private corporations this would never be the ideal situation but some countries are starting to have private corporations have access to the stock of water resources well in that situation uh, everyone knows that we need water to survive therefore these companies could decide to charge a really high price because people have a really high willingness to pay for water and they're price elastic. If you bump up the price, they'll still consume quite a bit. So you have that kind of situation. So, if that was the situation that the price were to be really high, well, the government could intervene and say, well, this is unfair. This is a necessity in life. And therefore, we're going to implement a price ceiling. So, whichever corporation has this good, if they want to sell it, they need to sell it. Below this price, if they're already selling it below the price, so let's say the price, the price ceiling is like two dollars a liter, and they're currently charging a dollar fifty a liter, well, that would be a non-binding price control. So the word binding here is uh, something that you could apply in other parts of uh, kind of like the world. Or the, the the word binding the, the what you have to keep in mind here is the idea that you have your hands attached, like you're, you're binded to something you're, you're kind of attached. If you have like handcuffs, your hands are binded. Uh, so it's that kind of situation that you're limited. So that's what we mean by a binding price control. It is something that limits the option of, uh, the seller in this case. So even though, um, it's currently charging $1.50 and the price ceiling has $2, it could be binding, it could limit them from charging more than $2. But at the current moment, it is non-binding because whatever price that they are charging and a little bit above it or below it is still feasible. So that would be a non-binding price control. So this is the first thing that you have to keep in mind when you'll see examples in this class about price controls, price ceilings or price floors, you have to ask yourself, First and foremost, is this price control binding? And if it isn't, then it pretty much has no impact for the time being. And no impact for the time being means that we revert to the equilibrium price and quantity from the free market equilibrium, where quantity supplied is equal to quantity demand. So a tricky question that you might occur or might see on a quiz or exam would be a situation where you have a series of prices, a series of quantities supplied, quantity demanded. Just by looking at that table, you could establish, or if it's a graph, you could establish what the equilibrium price and quantity is. And then the question says, well, there is a price ceiling of $2, and the equilibrium price would have been 150 How many units are sold and at what price? Well, some people fall into the trap of saying, well, the price is going to be $2 because that's the price ceiling. And then they'll say the wrong quantity. So keep that in mind. If it is not binding, just imagine it's not currently existing. It's not currently limiting the options. And therefore, the free market equilibrium quantity and price apply. So in practice, what are the things that make sense to have a price ceiling on? Well, it's anything that you would want Uh, to limit how much people are paying for so things that people may need to survive uh, which could be like water but you could also think about uh, certain things such as shelter so sometimes you'll hear about price ceilings on rent so that's another classic example and then uh, certain goods like milk tend to have a price ceiling as well just because, uh, in the past it's been seen as a very nutritious product. Uh, things are kind of evolving over time as people are eating less and less dairy, but in the past it's been seen as something that everyone should be able to have access to and therefore no matter if you go to a convenience store or, or a big box store, um, you should have access to milk that is not too expensive. And if we think about price floors, well, what makes sense to have a legal minimum on it? Well, the most obvious case that we see a lot is minimum wage. So here, the seller is the person who's working, who's offering their services. So there would be the the supplier of this labor. And the demander in this case is uh, the business that's hiring you. And that business would uh, have a situation where they would have to pay at least this amount. Once again, if the equilibrium price and quantity is above it, such as myself here as being a professor of economics, my salary is above the minimum wage. Therefore, even if the government increases the minimum wage to a higher amount, it's not going to impact my salary. It's not gonna change anything there. But if you're in one of those markets and one of those jobs, which has a salary that is currently lower than the minimum wage, well in that situation, as the minimum wage increases, your current employer will not be allowed to hire you legally and pay you the smaller wage than what is required by law. Other examples of price uh, floors would be milk again, make sure that the dairy farmers are covered and are protected and that there's not a ton of competition that comes in and drives prices down, drives a lot of dairy farmers out of business. So you could have situations like that where you want to protect a certain industry from big players coming in and trying to drive down the cost and price and then drive some of the market out. So that could be an example there. And you might see other examples as well. So once again, the big thing that you have to ask yourself is who uh, is this, is this uh, policy binding, the price ceiling or the price floor? And then what impact will it have? When it's going to have an impact, the impact that will have will always lead to underproduction. Underproduction with regards to the free market quantity. Why is this the case? Well, regardless if it's a price ceiling or a price floor that is binding, you have a situation that at that price, which is uh, happening there, you have a situation where either the quantity demanded or the quantity supplied will be lesser than the free market quantity. And it's always going to be the smallest of the two, which will be the new quantity exchange. Because if you think about a price floor that is above equilibrium um, price well that means that you have to pay people more than what the equilibrium price would uh, have if we think of minimum wage and in that case you would have a smaller quantity demanded by employers for employees than how many people are willing to work at that higher wage than before so they'll have a lot of people looking for work but very few jobs available or, or less jobs than what people are offering. And those are the only people that are going to get hired. You can't implement a minimum wage and also force McDonald's and all the other businesses to keep on hiring just as much or more people than before. It's natural that some of them we'll start using more automation more uh, kind of like you could order by tapping on a touchscreen and cutting back a few workers if these workers become more and more expensive and the same thing goes with uh, a price ceiling that is set below the equilibrium price which is the binding one and if you have to give yourself a hint of when is a binding price ceiling or price floor well, if you think that intersection of the X of the supply and demand curve, well, if you have a ceiling above your head and a floor below you, everything is normal. Nothing is really changing. But as soon as I have a floor above my head or a ceiling below me, there's something that's flipped around and that's where it has an impact. So that's the way I remember it or else you could just work it through. So if I've had pre- price ceiling below the equilibrium price, I'll have a situation where uh, the price will be lower than what, what the equilibrium would be because we're kind of saying, no, you can't charge as much as before. You have to charge less. And in that situation, once again, you'll have a quantity supply. The suppliers will not want to supply as much as people want to buy at that lower price. So if we think about minimum wage laws, you'll probably have an excess amount of workers than the amount of jobs that are available. And when you have a price ceiling on rent, you'll have more people looking for an apartment at that lower rate than landlords that are willing to rent out at that rate. Which brings me to the kind of final thing that you have to make sure to, to understand in this chapter here. And it's one of the classic kind of longer questions, or you might see like multiple multiple choice questions that kind of lead to this, is the idea that When the government implements a price control, like I said before, they won't do so on t-shirts, they'll do so on something that will have a specific purpose. When a price control is imposed on rent, you have a situation where they want to make sure that poor people or like minimum wage earners in Vancouver could actually find something decent and not have to commute for a few hours every day. So that's the situation that they're aiming for by implementing this kind of limit. So there's a purpose. So if we think about that minimum, uh, maximum price on rent, well, it is to help the renters not have to pay too much. So that's the goal. That's who gains from this policy. Who loses is always the flip side. It's the landlord who used to be able to rent at a higher price, can't rent for as much. But then the last part that you always have to consider is who of the gaining category loses. So if we think, well, the gaining category were the renters. Well, how could there be people that are losing? Well, actually, after you implement that price ceiling, the amount of apartments available is less than before, and there's more people that want to rent at that higher rate. So you have a bunch of people that now want to have an apartment or had an apartment who can no longer find an apartment so that is the category that loses people who used to have accommodation and no longer could find accommodation same thing goes for minimum wage the classic example this is minimum wage is to help low-income workers it hurts the employers of these low-income workers and who are the gaining category loses well if minimum wage were to go up from like 15 to 20 dollars an hour a lot more people want to work, and a lot of people that used to work at 15 still want to work. But when you go up, and uh, when that wage goes up, a lot of those people at $15 may lose their jobs um, due to autom- automation or some other reason, uh, like business cutting back. And therefore, you have a situation where some of the gaining category, the workers, are losing because they can't find work anymore. So that's pretty much what you have to analyze. So it's a short chapter in itself, but there's a lot of key things that you have to know. There's a lot of questions that do pop up along those lines. So either who are the gaining category wins and uh, who loses and so on. And then otherwise, the kind of questions that have like different quantities, either graphically or by a table and have different prices and quantities. And then you'll be asked about a certain price control, which is a price ceiling or a price floor. And first off, you have to ask yourself, is it binding or not? And then if it is, uh, that price will be the the selling price. And then the smallest of the quantity demanded or quantity supplied will be the quantity exchange. And then last but not least, in this this, um, chapter, it's easier to see with the videos. There is uh, the graphical analysis that you can do that kind of reflects this idea of gaining category and who loses and so on and so forth which you could apply uh, to kind of like the social welfare analysis so looking at consumer surplus before and producer surplus out uh, before and versus after you notice that now there is a debt weight loss because if there's a binding price control it leads to underproduction. Underproduction always leads to a debt weight loss except in the very last chapter we'll see in this class when there is an environmental issue but otherwise it always leads to a debt weight loss and then we'll see that some is transferred of welfare so maybe the consumer surplus goes up or producer surplus goes up depending on who we're supposed to help out in this category but we'll see that some of that gaining category loses as well So that is easier to see in a video format, but for the rest, hopefully this audio file will help you out, will help you understand, will help you review the price controls chapter of microeconomics. Have a good day.